1: What's up guys? Welcome in to Good Morning Lambo. My name is Clayton. Let's get the lights going here. My goodness. I'm, I've been sitting here for an hour waiting for the show time to get here and I ain't even ready. Um, welcome in Good Morning Lambo. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. You can email us Packers total access at gmail.com. You can text us 865-658-5824. I'm joining alongside Tim live in Green Bay here to you know, have a little coffee, have a little diesel, and we'll talk a little Packers, man. There's nothing like waking up with a little diesel in the cup and uh, and Green Bay Packers on your. We you got people already commenting about the coffee in there. Tim's got the, the jet black coffee over there, that tar. I know no creamer, no nothing. That's I had, right. a, I door dashed a little Starbucks this morning. So I got about, I don't know, 73 ounces of iced coffee here with probably. <laughs> Probably 50% cream, to be honest with you, but that's how we roll, man. That's that's how you get that double chin action like I she got over there. You want some coffee with that sugar? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look at Tim's physique and look at the head on this guy, and you can tell who's drinking the cream, right? It's just, uh, <laughs> just the way it is. But um, with that being said, uh, chat's lit up. Absolutely love it. Um, man, so many, want, so many of them already want to mark here. I'm going to try to hit on a few of them. I see what Carly said, and then I got a few marked. Carly said, "Clayton, have you ever heard of a head coach play calling both offense and defense?" You know, I, I haven't, Carly. But if there was anyone who ever did it, it was Curly Lambeau because that dude was a control freak, <laughs> right? And uh, uh and you know, look at how many games he won, right? And it was a different era too. It, you know, I'm a, I'm assuming back then <clears throat> the quarterback actually called the play like they did. You know, up till gosh, what was it, Tim? It was it wasn't until like the the '80s, I think. The I was going to say
0: probably mid '80s, early early '80s. Yeah.
1: I know Paul Brown basically invented the uh, the comms system. He invented a bunch of stuff. If you guys have never seen a football life, Paul Brown, go watch it. It's absolutely amazing. He actually had the first patent, partnership patent for the first face mask because his quarterback got his face broken, and he was like, you know what? People are going to keep continuing to punch my quarterback in the face. I'm going to put this pinky size railing around the helmet where they'll break their hand if they do it again. Um, he also was the first person to have photographs sent down from the top of the stadium. He actually paid a kid, I can't remember how much money it was, to run the Polaroids down to him on the sidelines where guys were taking pictures. And then they created a zip line. And then later on, obviously, you get to the point where they had printers on the sideline and were able to print the pictures and all that. He created that. He had the first comm system in the in the helmet. So I I would say, you know, maybe he was one of the first coaches to call the plays in, right? But when you think of way back in the day, you know, they the quarterback had to call the play. It wasn't, "Hey, let's run to the sideline, hey coach, what do you want?" You know, wasn't that type of thing. So as Mandy comes back in the room with her Mickey ears here, oh, <laughs> but um yeah, with that being said, um I don't I don't know if I've ever heard of that. Bye. Have a good day. I love you. Uh, Carly, I don't know if uh, if I've ever heard of uh, anyone calling both sides of the ball. So um, it's an interesting question, though. Somebody should do some digging on that. That would be fun to find out for sure. Um, let's see here. Doug in the chat. Everybody's kind of talking about the coaching staff right now. So let's kind of hit on it before we get into our topics. Doug says, was thinking, Matt LaFleur said he didn't have a replacement for Joe Barry. I mean, Basaccio was interim head coach with the Raiders. And assistant head coach here, is D.C. such a uh, such a special skill set, not glowing comment um, on Rich Versace. Um, You know, one of the one of the people that comes to mind It's funny. He gets mentioned in the chat here. You know, Bill Belichick actually started off on special teams and uh, worked his way into the defensive side of the ball. And he actually has a lot to do with the offensive game planning aspect too. Like if you go watch a football like Bill Belichick, it, it walks you through an entire season with Belichick at the helm. And you can see him and Brady game planning the offense that week. So he's got his hand in everything. He really does. It's just he he's kind of that firm believer that a football coach should be able to coach anything. I think history would dictate not everybody can do that. So for me, it would be a soft no with Basaccia. But the thing about Basaccia – Look how bad the special teams are this year. I mean, they're not as bad as they were before he got here. We got to give him his credit where credits due, but um, you know they're like a they're like a bottom five, I think, bottom seven special teams. So to just think, okay, he's not even really mastered that special teams room while here in Green Bay, I I, I have a hard time believing he could take over his DC. You know, so yeah. that makes I don't sense. think he's called a defense since
0: college. Also, yeah. I believe.
1: Yeah, I have no idea. And some of those guys, like like you know, like you're kind of alluding to Tim, and that may be the case with him. They kind of hop around, you know. They they'll, they'll call different things. Like Brandon Staley, I think he was a DC, but he calls the offensive plays. It's something weird like that. Which you see how that went with the Chargers. You know, he's yeah. he's now looking for a job. He's got the resume out there floating around. So well, don't um, tell
0: Matt Lafleur. Yeah,
1: that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the thing too. There's some people going, yes, bring me that." And he was a great DC, and I'm going, no, oh, that's the same." It's the that's same, the same argument about uh, bringing in Barry. We're gonna—you're setting yourself up for failure. <laughs> now, listen—he, you know, he could come in and spark something. I'm not saying it's impossible, right? Um, me, I would rather go. Okay, if you're when you if and when you make the change at DC, you should try to find a defense that's doing this right now, not not one like with Staley and the Fangio system. It, it's kind of at this point right now. Some would some would, you know, suggest it's on its way down. Um, and there are some analytics, if you believe in DBOA, that's something that's kind of showing, man, all of those defenses are struggling outside of Fangio in Miami. Um, but Fangio does a good job of keeping it very multiple, too. So um, it's going to be fun to dig into. Once the season's over, what we're going to try to do on this show is, is not just get into Mount Rushmore talks and what's your favorite food, although we hit that stuff sometimes. It kind of gets, you know, softly interjected into the conversation with us. But we're going to try to, as soon as the season's over, when they make a decision, if Barry is gone. And I say if because people are making it sound like it's a slam dunk, guys. Don't be surprised either if he comes back. I mean, just based off of what you see, what you see on the tape, it's like, okay, is it the players, it's the coaches – a lot of people got angry right now and say it's the coaches, it's the coaches. You know, I, I've got to agree at this point that they they definitely aren't making the players better. No one, I don't think, could could make that statement. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he sticks around either. I hope they make a change. That's me personally. But um, it's got to be a, a change of finding a defense, like you said, that's on that uptick. And and it's gotta be a young, a young, bright mind within one of those defenses. That would be my choice. So you can get the next great upcoming up-and-coming coach, right? The one that in two years, teams are wanting to get him off of your roster as their head coach. That means your defense excelled, right? So what were you going to say, Tim? Oh, I was just going to
0: say whoever it is, um, you know, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> Got about a year or two tops before, <laughs> before you're going to get run out of town by the fans or everyone's going to be really happy with you. We'll see. Um, I don't know, yeah. man. It makes me nervous, but one thing that doesn't is, you know, we say a lot about Matt Lafleur. The one thing that is constant with him is he is um, a master at preparation and research and due diligence. And I do believe that uh, any decision that's made—I mean, the the moving on from Joe Barry decision could come, you know, as soon as the end of the year. It could come in the off season before the draft. I, you know, I don't know. But as far as the new hire or the replacement, I fully anticipate coach LaFleur really doing his homework. And, uh, cause he knows that's a, you know, you can't screw that one up guys. Like, you know, whoever it is, it better hit a home run this time. <laughs> you know, a lot of pressure hiring that, uh, hiring a DC. And, you know, again, it's also the fact, like we said, if you think only one head is going to roll here, you, you're sorely mistaken. I, I'd be looking for lots of movement in this coaching staff. Um, so it's also position coaches that will be We'll be looking at as well. But I do trust that Matt LaFleur is going to be prepared and he's not going to make a decision based off of popularity or, you know, anything superficial. It'll be rooted in substance um, and uh, hopefully he makes a good hire this time around.
1: Yeah. And Nick McSwain in the chat said LaFleur should stay, in my opinion. I agree with that, Nick. You know, the, the only problem is, um, you know, Matt's got this offense on the uptrend, right? On the uptick. And, and that's the type of coach he is. He's a great play caller, in my opinion. Um, I've disagreed with some of the run scheme here this year. You guys have heard me talk about that on Chalk Talk. I'm sure there's a reason why he's trying to go that route that I don't understand that my little buffoon brain can't, can't you know, uh, figure out. But, you know, when it comes to the passing game, I thought he's coordinated a hell of a passing game this year. Like some of the stuff that he's put in place, as far as route combinations, passing concepts, protection, all those things is like wow, he's he's in his bag here. Yep. Some of the reverses I know people got tired of it the last game, but some of the reverse, some of our most explosive plays came in that in that very game. And then by the end of the game, people were going stop going to it, stop going. It's like heck, it, it worked in the first half. You can't if he gets away from it and doesn't run it again. You know, hindsight's 2020. If he gets away from it, doesn't run again. People go, why didn't we stay with the reverse? It was working. <laughs> so I've been guilty of that too. Right. I think because one of the things
0: that. we notice, especially doing film, is like how many times we've seen this year we're breaking down a play and you look at multiple targets running butt naked through the trailer park. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, he could have threw it here. He could have went here with it. You know, a lot of the times we talked about the ups and downs offensively early in the year was Jordan Love um in his progressions and his reads. And hanging on to the ball too long, not getting it out in rhythm. It was never an issue of guys getting open. You know, it was never a scheme issue. It was a, a Jordan, a Jordan Love thing kind of getting his legs under him in that pocket. And now we've seen the season progress. And it's like, yeah, the offense is, is trending upward. And you've got to in my opinion, man, you, you want to win a Super Bowl, you gotta have a top five offense, you gotta have a top ten defense in this league. You don't you don't need the best defense in the league. You don't need the number one offense in the league, but you got to be in, in that ballpark. And I think that the defense is clearly the missing link. As far as special teams goes, I've said this for decades. Can we just get a special teams unit that's not a liability? Just don't be a liability. You don't have to be great, you know. Just don't be bottom-of-the-barrel liability. Oh, my gosh, please don't cost us a game, you know. So there's a, it's, a, it's an uphill battle um, on those sides of the ball. But, um, yeah, man, D.C. is going to be – it's going to be a huge hire. However, you can't just terminate someone and think that that itself is going to fix the problem because uh, you could go from bad to worse real quick if you're not careful.
1: Absolutely. In no way, shape, or form am I saying that you get rid of Which Everything you just explained to him, outside of Keyshawn Nixon bobbling that punt and trying to pick it up, which in my opinion, you can't put that on Basatcha he's not coaching that in practice, guys. We've seen Keyshawn be overly aggressive trying to return kicks deep in the end zone, and we know how the 25-yard line rule works now. Um, you see some of these teams that are winning a lot of ball games, they're fair catching it at the 10, going, hey, look, let's just take it at the 25. That's a win. Um, I'm not suggesting we should do that with Key. If he had returned two touchdowns this year, we wouldn't even be talking about it. But, you know, it's uh, I don't want to pile on someone because they're, quote-unquote, having a bad year, but, you know, if you see it, you got to say it. I don't see that being a, a Rich Basaccia issue personally. And the kicking game is sure it up. Guys, you've got a, you a first-year holder, right, to the best of my knowledge, a first-year holder and a rookie kicker. A rookie kicker that some people have piled on because he missed one of four field goals in a game. You know, he's – like we pointed out the other day, his field goal percentage is top 10, or, or I think it was 11th, like – if, if we all agree that as a rookie, he's only going to get better moving forward. He's going to get more comfortable. He's going to continue to improve the accuracy. Then what are we expect Are we expecting a top five of a rookie kicker? You know I mean? Like, uh, yeah we've got to be realistic in that regard. And I say we, meaning me. I've got to get better at that. Doug in the chat said, Clayton, you always said these defensive schemes are so cyclical. It's so true, Doug. Um, you're seeing it right now. The Fangio system was the darling of the system three years ago, right? And I felt like last year. In 2021, Joe Barry comes in, right, or whatever his first year was. Yeah, 2021. And we loved him. It was a big improvement from Mike Pettin. And uh, you guys know, I don't look at DVOA. There's so much more to the game than just DVOA, right? Because you could take DVOA one week and it's, wow, man, they haven't played anybody. And then by the end of the year, who they played earlier in the year is having an excellent year now. And it's like, okay, at the time we put a lot of stock in, that offense was horrible that we played against. Now they've improved in their, you know, top 15, top 10. And at the time we had this misconception of they're horrible, therefore the defense is horrible. That's the thing I don't like about it. Um, I'm sure it's got its place just like any other statistic, but at the end of the day, I'm looking at situational football. How do we handle red zone defense? Red zone defense is probably the most important defensive stat there is, in my opinion. People, It seems like people put more stock in rushing defense than they do red zone defense. And that's where I'm like, at the end of the day, guys, the point is to have more points than the other team. That's why I put a lot of stock in points per play because it removes a lot of the noise. But, uh, yeah, it's very cyclical. So what you got to do, Doug, is you got to find – you don't want to find that defense that has been at its peak for two years and it's waiting to crash, right? Or else you're going to be right back in the same situation where you're going, okay, people are going, is it scheme, is it players? I think it's both. I I don't think it's as much scheme as it is not being able to coach the players up to their, uh, you know, top level and the players underperforming in certain situations, like the one play we broke down yesterday and just going, okay, look, that's that who in the world as a as a player would think, okay, let me sit in the middle of the field where there's not a player within eight yards of me. I'll stay right here. You don't show me a clip of Ray Lewis doing that. Show me a clip of Brian Erlacher doing that. You know what I mean? Show me a clip of a of Ed Reed at safety doing that. Unless he's playing, you know, a deep quarter or a deep deep third. Um, it just it just doesn't exist. So um, let's see what else we got here real quick. Um, Derek K in the chat said just being in uh, Bill, being on Bill and give him the keys. Talking about Bill Belichick, I would imagine. Here's the problem with that, Derek. Listen, you guys know I'm a huge Bill Belichick fan. Love the history of the game. Love his appreciation for the game. I went crazy when he was on college game day the other day, putting on the old uh, Navy helmet. Tim, <laughs> it barely fit on the head. Yeah. like me trying to put a helmet on. I love everything about Bill Belichick, but if you see it, you got to say it, right? These last few years have been bad, and, and here's the thing about Bill. Wherever Bill goes, he wants the keys, like you said. General manager, full control of the organization. Now, look at the last three years at what New England's done. Guys, people say, well, Bill's doing the best he can. It's a bad roster. Typically, those people don't understand Bill built the roster. So and again, I'm not trying to pile on, but 73 years old, like, are you going to get him for two years? And now you get him to implement everything into into the organization. And now he's gone and you lose that magic bill factor. Right. And and whoever takes over for him, whether it would I imagine wherever he's going to go, Stephen's going to go with him. That's his son. Mm -hmm. Um, So Stephen will probably most likely be kind of the predecessor. Right. The the person who's going to step right in after Bill. So uh, I don't know if predecessor is the right word, you know, in my education, I'm you it isn't. But anyway, um, that's that's kind of how the whole bill thing shakes out. He'll get a job if he wants to coach. He'll get a job and he'll get full control of an organization. There's no doubt about it. I kind of lean toward I think it's New York. I think the New York Giants could be Carolina that's on the East Coast, too, because he's he's going to he's going to want to stay on the East Coast, I would imagine. But it would be really tempting if they threw the book at him out in L.A. with the Chargers. Um, with uh, Justin Herbert being a great young quarterback. You know, a lot of pieces are already in place there. You just need a a coach that's not like Staley, which Staley, situationally, guys, it was a train wreck. He was so aggressive going for it on fourth down his entire tenure. And all he would say is the analytics say it, the analytics say it. In the meantime, other great coaches are just kicking field goals and winning ballgames by two points, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. um, Hark, what a, what a concept. Let's see here. Green and Go Draft Report says, Jesse Mentored, Michigan, D.C. Take a look at his resume. Got it, man. I'll put it on the list for sure. Um, Nick McSwain, LaFleur wanted Leonard. They offered him the job. Barry was sloppy seconds. Yeah, he definitely wanted Leonard as as his first choice. Um, I'm not as sold on Leonard. Here's the question I always ask people that are really excited about Leonard. And, again, I'm very ignorant in, in this topic because I haven't dug into Leonard. But I always ask him if he hadn't coached in Wisconsin. I think he played in Wisconsin, too. If he had no Wisconsin ties, would he still be your top pick? You get some crickets there, <laughs> right? So it kind of is what it is there. Uh, and I get it. You guys see how excited I get when they draft somebody from Kentucky, right? When they drafted Randall Cobb, I was at Joe's Crab Shack in Louisville, Kentucky, dancing on the table like a moron. I was like, "We got Cobbie, let's go!" I was so excited, man. I was like, "Man, we got a we got an emergency, we got an emergency quarterback too." Like Cobb could play quarterback. People don't know this. He was he was an excellent quarterback too. He, I think he's one of the one of if not the only players in Kentucky history to score a punt return touchdown, a kick return touchdown, a rushing touchdown, a receiving touchdown, and throw a touchdown. He was just unbelievable. He was a Swiss Army knife. So I get it why people like Leonard. I got you, but you got to ask yourself that if he had coached at you know Valdosta State or not even Valdosta, if he had coached at USC, would you be as excited about it? You know what I mean? Um, I think the majority of the people, if they were Answering honestly, probably not, nah, probably not. But it is a good story, you know, and he may end up here. He, he was the top pick. You know, there's a good chance that you didn't get your top guy. You go back after him again. So Reef in the chat says, I feel like we don't know how to incorporate all our stars in the, in the same game. Uh, we always have great individual effort by a player with help from the O-line, only one game at a time. I think complimentary football is very important. I think that's kind of what you get into there, Reef. Um, I think it is a, is a real thing for sure. So um, let's do this. Let's kind of get into what we were going to cover here in the show. I appreciate you guys hanging out in the chat. Hope y'all, Hopefully you y'all are having a, a great morning. So we had some, some stuff we covered yesterday. If you guys remember, we hit on this tweet from, I think it was Jacob Morley, who said Jaden Reed is one of two, player, two NFL players to record, 100-plus rushing yards, uh, multiple rushing touchdowns, multiple 50-plus yard receptions, uh, five hundred plus receiving yards, six plus receiving touchdowns. Christian McCaffrey is the other player. Tariq Hill is the only other rookie to ever do this. So Jaden Reed has done something that only Tariq Hill. Some would argue. I know. It's. I'm of the opinion that Tariq Hill is the best wide receiver in the game right now. I know Tay is unbelievable. He's right up there too, but Tariq has physical ability that Tay doesn't have. You know, it's, it's just really that simple That dude is is phenomenal He is a game tilter So we, we talked about that yesterday I got a YouTube comment last night Okay, on the stream um, After the stream was over And this is from Nate Reiners. Appreciate you, buddy Thanks for reaching out I love it when people bring substance like this to the comments Rather than just Hey, you should do this different Hey, you should do that different <laughs> I like it when people kind of bring something that we can use on the show um, When you see how Reed This is what Nate says When you see how Reed has panned out and he is the antithesis of a Packers pick, high RAS, right? With a RAS of only 6.6, kind of makes you question putting so much emphasis on RAS. Keep in mind, when he's saying RAS, anytime we mention RAS, he's talking about relative athletic score. The Packers, I'm about 90% sure the Packers don't look at RAS, but what he's referring to and what we refer to as RAS, they have their own way of gauging athletic scores, okay? So, RAS is just something that that I think it was Math Bomb on Twitter they created, which is a really, really cool tool. It, it basically compares size and measurables and, you know, uh, combine results, 40-yard dashes, cone drew, all that stuff, and basically compares it to every player since the 80s, and you kind of get a percentile of where they sit, right, RAS. So it just shows you he was about 66% is essentially what 6.6 is of, of other players at wide receivers as far as size and physical ability. Okay, so that's what that is. Carl Brooks is another low RAS guy producing as well. Not saying RAS is useless. Thank you, Nate. Very well said. But if guys don't know what to do, it doesn't matter how athletic they are. Uh, Makes me question the Packers' emphasis on RAS. I get we're looking for the next Randy Moss, but what about Wes Welker, RAS of three? Steve Smith, RAS of seven? Eric Armstead, RAS of five. Zedarius Smith, RAS of four. DeAndre Hopkins, RAS of five. Stephon Diggs, RAS of 5.6. Not saying Ben Ness and Gary aren't awesome, just food for thought. Exactly. And when we mention RAS, there's like a threshold that they refuse to go under. And, again, they're using a different athletic score system, I guarantee it. But in the first round, they are heavy on you, I think it was something like was it 8.3? I think it was the RAS that they won't go under Tim. So when you look at that and you look at some of the players you pass up on who go on to be great players, they're thinking first round pick, let's just make let's take the most athletic freak that we can find that, that meets our threshold, not just in RAS but on the field performance too. And I, And I think there's something to that. Nate, thank you for taking the time to run those numbers down, man, because I think it's very, very important. Um, so when you look at Reed, and how he's performed. Again, we just showed you a statistic there where the only other person to do it is is Tariq Hill, right? And then you got he's he's such a Swiss Army knife, he's, he's being compared now to kind of a Christian McCaffrey type at the running back position. And we've seen he he's kind of lined up in the backfield several times, whether using orbit motion or whatever. Um, but Tim, anything you want to hit on there before we get to the receiver room. I thought that was a really cool kind of way to segue into the wide receiver room and how they're performing.
2: And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
0: Yeah, no, this is great. And RAS isn't everything, but it's also not nothing. Um, it's important to look at that. And... Um, Yeah, man, we got, we got us a, we got us a gem, man, in Jaden Reed. Um, You know, the thing with relative athletic score, I always say it, it's relative, you know, I mean, if you put too much emphasis on stuff like this, you can miss, you can miss some gems um, in the draft. I mean, I guess, I mean, Brock Purdy comes to mind, you know, like anybody that's putting too much stock in some of these, you know, statistics and, um, you know, analytics, It's like, man, this guy fell to the bottom barrel and is, you know, (laughs) balling out right now. So, um, you know, it's all relative, but, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that approach. You know, like, Hey, we want guys that have, you know, good athletic ability. I mean, we are playing a a grown man's sport here. You need to be athletic. Um, But, you know, that can't be the, I don't think you can ever focus on one thing too much when you're trying to evaluate talent. I think you need to weigh all of these things together and make the best decision you can. And I think Goody has, for the most part, you know, done that for us. You know, you you hit on some, you miss on some, you know, we have first rounders that, you know, kind of underwhelm, but then we get third or fourth or fifth rounders that turn out to be studs. So that's just what drafting is sometimes, you know.
1: Right. No, I agree, man. I completely agree. So as we dive into the wide receiver room, something else we're going to do throughout this episode too, guys, is we're going to go through and look at the tier one positions and the tier two positions from a PFF standpoint and try to say, okay, who do we feel like we hit on, we've got that shored up, and where do we need to get better? Okay, we do this going into every offseason. Unfortunately, a couple of those positions that we identified last year didn't get addressed, and it is one of the biggest reasons, two of the biggest reasons that the team is still where we're at, where we were last year. I mean, you guys understand we're right about where we were last year, right? Minus a four-time MVP, you see take a, a slight step back with Jordan kind of struggling early, getting his feet under him. But uh, let's do this. Let's see what Larry McCarron had to say about Tay Wicks. This video came from Packers Daily. You can find it on Packers.com for free, their YouTube channel for free, and on Twitter for free on, on the Packers Twitter account. Make sure you go give it a like, share it, all that good stuff. Let's show them some love. But here's Larry, the Rock McCarron, talking about Tay Wicks and, and some other players on the team.
0: Here's the snap, block quick, throw left side, right to the needle, Wicks has it. Breaking tackle. 45-50, into
2: Tampa Bay territory. In the second half Sunday, Dontavian Wicks came out swinging, reeling in a career-high six grabs for 97 yards. Fires right side,
0: got it, man, between the numbers, it's Wicks again.
2: Wicks now leads the Packers in 20-plus yard reception, with ben, and he's catching the attention of his quarterback.
0: He did what he's been doing all season. Um, he's, he's going out there and he's making plays. Um, he's getting in the right spot. And then obviously when the ball gets in his hands, he's making plays after the catch. So he had a big game tonight. Over the he's got He's a great player and something we gotta just continue to build on going forward, but I think he's just getting better every week. He's a tough player, man. He plays through injuries and you know, uh, he just does a great job of creating separation. Yeah, just his mentality. I love
2: the way he plays and he has my respect. Down, Rich, breaks Ten, the tackle, go. 10 to the 5, end touchdown. Fellow rookie Jaden Reed is also receiving praise. The second round receiver has a team leading 54 receptions, ranking second all-time for rookie wideouts in franchise history. Got his man, Jaden Reed, touchdown. Right corner of the end zone. We've seen it as a team, you know, guys, you no know, plan. One another playing good, with good effort, um, details to your know, assignment and things like that, we can't be a playoff team. We got to go out there each week and put it together and just know that nothing is going to be given to us and people going to
0: give us their best game. The one thing about the team is, is you know, no one's quitting. Guys are finding ways to, to continue to battle.
2: Hit and sack. They came in waves!
0: How about how we bounce back now at this point and respond going forward? Got three games left, so just got to get back to the win column.
1: There you go. And that was obviously uh, Mike Spofford. I thought Larry was in that video. Maybe he kicked it off. I can't remember. I watched so many videos this morning. But uh, Mike Spofford's an awesome follow on Twitter, man. He's an amazing guy. Very humble. Very, I got to meet him a couple times at a, just, uh, just a stand-up dude. They do great work over there. Um, so, you know, with Tay Wicks, it's hard not to get excited. You know, we were just talking about Jaden Reed and how he's doing things that only Tariq Hill has done, right, as a rookie. And he's only going to get better. I think we would all agree with that. There may be a little bit of a sophomore slump, but for the most part, players like that, I don't remember Tariq Hill having a sophomore slump. I remember him dropping in a draft for personal issues, obviously, and rightfully so. You've seen him kind of surface at the NFL level, too. Not to dog on anyone, but the, tr- the facts are the facts. But you've seen him just continue to excel. When you've got a player like that, they typically only get better, right? So definitely something to keep an eye on there. Let's look at the wide receiver room since we're on the topic, and then we'll move to our tier one. Understand this isn't a tier one or a tier two position of importance, in my opinion. I'm not saying it's not important. It's just I come from the school of Bill Walsh. I've studied a bunch of stuff that Bill Walsh has, has read, you know, has wrote and 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 taught on before he passed away. There, obviously, way too soon. Um, he says wide receiver is the last piece you put in place. Goody comes from that same West Coast tree, right? Um, what have we done? How many times have we drafted a first-round wide receiver? Doesn't happen, right? Yep. Because he comes from that same thought process of it's the last piece you put in place. But, man, they've gotten good at hitting on these wide receivers outside of the first round. There's no no two ways about it. Dontavian Wicks. Remember the stats we just showed you about Jaden Reed? Yep. Dontavian Wicks is the highest-graded receiver on this roster. And I'm not surprised, guys we talked about it all year long. i talked about Greg Cosell ranting and raving over him. Um, we've talked about when he's on the field with limited snaps, he's just performing. He, he looks like a pro. He knows where every player is on the field. You don't see him get blindsided. You see him making hands catches. You see him uh, being able to, to leap to make catches. You see his route running ability is just, I mean, absolutely epic. Looks like a young Tay out there with his release package. 76.3. Jaden Reed, second at 70.2. Christian Watson, 69.1, Romeo Dobbs, 68.8, and then Bo Melton, 68.1, Malik Heath, 65.0, Samori Torre, 64.4. For us going into this year going, man, this is a young, unproven wide receiver core. Tim, they have performed really well, in my opinion, They, have, they and they're, they're continuing to progress. You know, the last time we've seen Christian Watson healthy, he had two of his best games of his career right? Romeo Dobbs is just kind of steady Eddie. You know, you'd like to see him being the veteran in the room. I know it's funny saying that with it just being a second year, I believe it is. Um, You would like to see him kind of leading the pack, but that's okay, man. He's still contributing. So essentially when you look at it from PFF standpoint, right? And I didn't pull the SIS uh, passer rating when targeted, I destructed strictly PFF. When you look at the PFF grades here, Dontavian Wicks, 28th best wide receiver in the league, that is starting caliber. Jaden Reed, forty eighth best wide receiver in the league. That is number two caliber. Christian Watson, fifty second number two caliber. Romeo Dobbs, fifty third number two caliber compared across the league. So essentially, what you got is if you were to just say PFF is the tell all end all, which you guys know we don't believe that. We just think it's another great tool. You've got a number one receiver in Dontavian Wicks and three number two receivers. Tim, that's exciting, man. That's that, and what does it show on the what we see on the tape, man? They're moving the ball around. They're spreading the ball around like they've got a roster filled with number two wide receivers. It's just this is this is mind boggling, man. Like Goody has done such a good job with this wide receiver room, man.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's refreshing to watch this offense. Um, this is not a dig at anyone, but let's let's be real. It's great when you're when you're in a situation where you don't have to force the ball to Devontae Adams. Yes. We don't, we don't have a bona fide number one right now, in my opinion, like that we could say. I mean, if we look at the numbers, you're right. Tay Wicks comes to mind. Jaden Reed comes to mind. But this offense clicks at its best when that ball is getting spread around. I mean, you look at the different completions Jordan Love has had to different pass catchers on this offense. That's where we're going to find success. And I think you know, the, the standouts or the, the number one guys are, they'll, they'll emerge and, you know, present themselves here. Um, You know, receiver is a tough thing. Like I said, it's kind of a, kind of a rare occurrence to have a guy like Jaden Reed just come in and play at a high level right away. And then to think that we've got Tay Wicks doing the same thing at the same time, you know, makes you feel really good. And, you know, wide receiver, you're right. It's probably that last, Last piece you got to add because your, your wide receivers don't mean much if your line is bad. And, you know, we, we talk about how these things go hand in hand. But I really think that's the formula going forward is we don't necessarily need that that, uh, you know, bona fide number one receiver to, to find success. Um, and, you know, we talked about Jordan building a, a rapport with, you know, Dobbs and um, he's got a really good connection with him going back, you know, even to last year. It's like, but yeah, look where the look where the targets are going though. I mean, this ball's getting spread around. And I I love Jordan's mentality. You know, he's got a very short memory when it comes to drops or mistakes. And it's, you know, hey, let's get it again. You know, great example would be Malik Heath last week. You know, you, you fire him one touchdown, they take it away from you. You know, you didn't hang on to it all the way or whatever, got popped out of there, and then bam, we go right back to him on, on yet another play that we had multiple times targets. We had Jaden Reed running wide open on that play too. You know, that's where it gets hard. You know, if you're, if you're scheming against this Packers team, oh, we got it. Let's, let's double on, on Reed. And then you get lit up by Wicks, you know, or let's send help towards well. Then you get lit up by Dobbs or Watson. It's, you know, this is the type of approach we need to take. It's, it's uh pass catcher by committee targets by committee there. There doesn't, I, I, this is just my opinion. I don't think we need a bona fide Number one, at least we don't need to go look for that guy right now, for some stupid reason, Marvin Harrison jr. Falls in the draft. (laughs) We might be having a different conversation. Um, But of course that would involve probably dealing one or one or two of these guys just to, just to make that happen. But um, I, I I don't think we need a bona fide guy. At least, at least we don't need to search for one. I think we've got a lot of talent and uh, I think Gudi will continue to bring some of those uh, middle to later round guys in uh to compete at camp as well I mean we didn't even look at the bottom of that that list um you know Bo Melton has uh contributed here a little bit as of late has been getting peppered in and he was a bubble guy for a while during camp that we weren't so sure if there was even a spot for him right. and uh, he battled through preseason injury uh to make this football team at least the practice squad and it's just cool to see number 80 out there uh you know, contributing here. So, a um, lot to be excited yeah. about with this wide receiver room for sure.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Carly Ray in the chat says, Andy Herman says, you don't draft for need, you draft for value, taking the highest player available to have more crap capital for uh, trades. You know, people scoff at that, Carly. They laugh and go, Oh, yeah, they say they don't, they say they draft best player available and they don't draft by need, but they draft by need. The board is set up by need. There's no two ways about it, but you have premier positions, which we'll talk about in a second. Obviously, on on the offensive side of the ball, I feel like those positions are quarterback and left tackle. On the defensive side of the ball, it's edge and interior defensive line at three tech type. Not not a not a TJ Slayton nose tackle. We're not talking about that. We're talking about someone who can stop the run and the pass, get penetration there between the guards, that type of thing, and also playing a four eye and create isolation for a wide nine. That type of player, just a, a you know a field tilter, right? That where when they step on the field, the odds tilt in your favor a bit, right? So uh yeah, I agree though about the whole draft, you know, you don't draft for need. You don't just go out there and go, All right, guys, we need a safety. Hell or high water, we're taking the best safety in this draft. That's the goal. That's that's not how it plays out. And I think that's exactly what Andy's saying there for sure. We need to get him back on the show too. I need to reach out to him. Uh Ron Sandville. In the chat said, uh, when I went to a few early season open practices, I was wondering why they were keeping an injured receiver that never practiced on the roster. Now I can see why. They always know, don't they, Ron? We think we know, but we don't know. But <laughs> there's a reason they're getting paid the big bucks, man. they seen something. I'm assuming you're talking about Tay. they seen something in Tay Wicks where they were like, man, this kid's different. And it's exactly, I say it all the time, Greg Cosell, this kid gets it. That's all he said over and over and over. So I appreciate you guys in the chat for sure. All right, before we move on to the next segment, just want to give a quick shout out to BetUS, the official sports book of Packers Total Access Live. Appreciate them jumping on board with us. They got an awesome interface. If you guys like to put a little action on the game, whether it's the, the, the money line, whether it's the spread, whether it's prop bets, I would really, really recommend you use BetUS. As a matter of fact, if you click on this YouTube link in the description, you'll see a link. If you click on that link and register for free as a customer of theirs, It will actually uh, put us in better standing with BetUS and show, hey, man, people actually listen to this show. So if you want to find a way to support the channel without spending a dime, that's one way you can do it is by registering with BetUS. And then if you do decide to put some action on the game, I recommend you use them. Um, As we look ahead real quick, uh, the, the way the line sits right now. PFF has the line at four and a half. Last I checked on BetUS, I need to pull it for the afternoon or for the evening show tonight. I believe it was at five points on BetUS. But um, PFF at the time had it at four and a half points there for the game against Carolina. The Packers are four and a half point favorites. Just something to keep an eye on there. Again, appreciate BetUS jumping on board. They're America's favorite sports book, celebrating their 30th year in business, and really, really excited to partner with them. All right, let's move on to some of these top-tier positions here, Tim. Tim. Um, You know, we talk about it every year. You'll hear me say tier one of importance. Some people refer to as premier position. That's probably the more professional way of saying it. But I'm so old and set in my ways. I will always say tier one of importance because it's harder to say and I just make things hard. That's just how I roll. So Um, quarterback. Jordan Love, right off the top of the bat, we know this is the most important position on a football team. I, I don't think anybody would argue with that. Jordan Love currently grading out 77.1. Right there with where he graded in the Philly game last year, you're seeing this is kind of that baseline, right? Now we want to see him improve. He's grading out as the 18th best quarterback in the league. You guys know I've been very vocal here of recently. I feel really comfortable moving forward with Jordan as the quarterback. But, but, The same they did with Brett Favre. When Brett Favre was here, they were willing to go draft Aaron. The same, and people go, well, Brett was old, Clayton. Hold on a second. Aaron Rodgers, when he just took over as a starting quarterback, they drafted Brian Brom in the second round. Why is that? Greg Cosell, 101. There are two drafts every spring. There's an NFL draft for all the positions, and then there's a separate quarterback draft. And what he means by that is quarterbacks are always considered more valuable than every other position. What we've noticed and when you look at how the draft board falls, to me, it seems as if the quarterbacks are taken one tier higher than the current tier. Meaning, if you when you break down your draft board, I need to use 33rd team's draft board sometime to show you guys how a draft board's actually broke down, not how us knucklehead media members do it. I say media, I'm definitely not a media member, but all the, the podcasters how we break it down they do it by a score system a point system right of like a I can't remember the exact number's like an 8.0 is a perfect prospect right and then it goes down to like a 7 point6 and then it'll go down to like a 7.0 and then a 6.5 and each of those categories they've got it broke down to they believe and this is all projection no guarantees obviously the it's a crap shoot everything's a crap shoot with the NFL draft but it's this top one is a future hall of famer that's the type of grade they have on them okay? The next one is maybe an elite grade. The next one is a, a very good starter. The next one is starting caliber. The next one is backup caliber. The next one is, you know, a third stringer. And that's kind of how they break it down on the, on, the, on the draft board. So with that being said, let's say the tiers go from 8 to a 7.6. If a quarterback falls in the 7.6, they consider him an 8 because he's he's value his value is equal to one tier higher than his current tier, if that makes sense. Hopefully I explained that well enough. That's how important it is. I say all that because when we go in April and let's say the Packers are drafting somewhere anywhere from, let's say it's, you know, somewhere from 10th to 15th and they have a quarterback. I know people don't want to hear this and you guys know I'm on board with Jordan. If they have a quarterback that drops to them or gets within range like Jordan did where they can trade up and get him. And he has an equal grade to Jordan as Jordan had coming out in the draft or, you know, I say worse because, Man, there's going to be a lot of people upset about this, that you drafted a guy upset Aaron Rodgers, and then you go ahead and draft another quarterback. He doesn't even end up being the quarterback of the future. That would be – there's, I would have no problem with it. I want a better football team, whether that's Jordan Lovett quarterback or another one, right? But there's going to be fans that are upset, and they're going to hang that over Goody's head. There's no two ways about it. But if you have one fall, they're going to go get him. It's going to happen because it's that important of a position. I know the Sean Clifford fans are sitting there going right now, how dare you? not give Sean Clifford a chance, but Tim, what do you think? Uh, You feel like this is a fair grade on Jordan Love here, man, sitting 18th in the league. You feel like that's on par?
0: Absolutely. And, you know, next year it'll, he'll be top 10. You know, that's, that's how I feel. Um, He's going to continue to improve. As far as this quarterback room, I like this quarterback room. If I had it my way, this, we'd roll with this quarterback room next year. Um, But I'm not naive and you're right, Clayton, you know, if there's a QB on the board, um, especially someone that um you know we've taken a look at or you know we've scouted and uh probably didn't think we were gonna have a shot at. You know, Goody's Goody's known for that. He will he will make a move. And you know, I'll I'll take it. As long as you cover our other bases, don't don't come out of this draft with another quarterback, but we don't we haven't, you know, drafted safety or offensive line or something to address these other issues. Um, But yeah, it's like one of those things. Sometimes it's best available. Sometimes you've got an approach on draft day and, you know, know, the guy that you're looking at with your pick in the first round is off the board. And then now you got to scramble. And now all of a sudden, before you know it, you're on the clock and now you got to make a decision, you know, so these are, uh, there's contingency plans for the contingency plan with a backup plan for the contingency plan. That's just, (laughs) I can, I can assume that, you know, being in that war room on draft day is just, it's gotta be crazy. Um, but you know, I, I like our quarterback room. I, you know, I think the, uh, excitement about Sean Clifford is not unwarranted, you know, the kid, there's something with that kid for sure. Um, but you know, I don't think we need to get too too high on any of these backups. But, I mean, Jay Love, Sean Clifford, and Mr. Magoo, I mean, all three of these guys can spin the ball. I saw it with my own eyes last year. Um, so, uh, like I said, I'm comfortable with that. If that was our quarterback room this time next year, I'd be okay with that. But, you know, yeah, only try. time will tell.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. So, let's move on to tackle this is another tier 1 position of importance right it's there's there's two top tiers quarterback is most important but tackle is right there with with it meaning protecting the blind side of the quarterback i have tried to go away from that opinion multiple times and people that i trust offensive line coaches both at high school and college level uh you know former offensive linemen in the nfl They all say, no, Clayton, left tackle is hands down most important for a right-handed quarterback or right tackle for a left-handed quarterback. It's that important. So I keep wanting to put center up there with it. That's why it's still on tier two. But I I keep getting talked off that ledge and rightfully so by people who know way more about the game than I do. But when we look at our tackle room at the very top, you've got Zach Tom, 79.5. David Bakhtiari, 78.3. Rasheed Walker, 69.5. Yash Naiman, 62.8. And then Royce Newman list- listed at tackle here uh, when you break down just some of the stats that I guess they consider him a tackle in a pinch, 46.3. So when you look at those grades there, okay, people are going, but Clayton, Zach Tom plays right tackle. Right now he does, yes. Who's to say, though, going into a full offseason that they don't go, all right, guys, if David Bakhtiari isn't here, let's move Zach Tom to left tackle. That could happen. Do I want it to happen? Absolutely not, because you're starting to see Rashid get better at playing tackle. Keep in mind, too, when you look at their ranking here, there's only two that's showing a ranking because of the amount of snaps. Zach Tom grades out as the 10th highest tackle. Rasheed Walker is the 33rd. You need to divide that by two, in my opinion. That's how I look at that, because there's two starting tackles, okay? So if you divided that by two or you say, okay, out of 64, where do they fall? You, you've basically got two tackles that are starting caliber, not just starting caliber. Rasheed Walker is borderline number one tackle, meaning the best tackle on an NFL team. Okay, because there can only be thirty-two, right, as far as you know the teams go. So, I would say here's how I feel about it. Immediately, David Bakhtiari, you think the salary cap, right? He's due. I think his cap hit next year is forty million. No one. I don't think I've heard one single person say David Bakhtiari will be back on the roster at a forty million dollar cap hit. Right. If you cut him loose, you're freeing up roughly 20 million. People immediately go, man, that sounds good to have an extra 20 million to spend. It does. Absolutely. What if Rashid Walker hits a slump next year and he's grading out in the 50s and we need the most important position at tackle? It's not out of the realm of possibility that the Packers will go out and draft a left tackle in the first round, guys. If it's, again, you break it down by tier of importance. Right. So, we're kind of setting the stage based off of really what Carly said about Andy Herman's uh, comment there too, right? You're drafting by the best player available, but they put a premier on those tier one positions of importance, right? You've seen it with edge defender again, with them taking Lucas Van Ness, that's tier one on the defensive side. So when it comes to the tackles, what I would like to see happen, I don't know if it will, uh, because it's not how Goody operates, but Bach and this whole injury thing has just been absolutely horrible, right? If I was Goody, This is – I say if I was Goody. This is what I would want Goody to do. Go to David Bacteri and go, David, what do you want, man? Do you want to finish your career here? Okay, you do. Got it. All right. If the answer is yes, we've got to get that cap number down. We're going to have – what if we threw you a little bit more guaranteed money and we took the overall value of the the contract down and we still make you the highest paid tackle in the game, which would be somewhere around $32, $33 million cap hit, right? It's exactly what they did with Aaron Jones last year. People – Aaron took a pay cut. Aaron took a pay cut. Technically, he did, yes. But he was still one of the highest cap hits at the running back position. So you meet in the middle that way. If you go to David and he says, no, I don't want to do that, hey, I completely understand You're, you have the right to every dime you can get. Where would you like to be traded? What are your top three choices? Right? I would like to see David back and let Rashid take a step back and learn behind David one more year if David Battiari can continue to play at the level he did there in Chicago, 78.3, if the knee is healthy. And I understand it's not that cut and dry. Uh, That's how I would approach that. You've got your Tier 1 position of importance sealed up at left tackle. You've got his replacement learning behind one of the best to ever do it. You do it in a respectful way. You go to Bach and say, here's where we need to get the cap number down to. And if he says, no, I'm worth every dime, then say, I, I agree. Well, where do you want to go? Now, if he plays hardball and says, I just want to go to this team, then that's where you, things might get ugly, and that's where a business becomes business. But you try to handle it the right way on the front side. Anything you disagree with there, Tim, what do you think? His pass blocking grade? I see that, man. I know it was just one game, but 89.9. Box still had it when he's on the field, dude.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the thing I see, I mean, and, yeah, I agree with – pretty much everything you're saying here. Um this is one of those times we totally see eye to eye. I look at the uh you know the, these tackles and it just you know Newman 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 Hello Newman. Hello Newman. Um talk about we need to um we need to make a move man. Um I think we need to free up some space and uh yeah, maybe look to the draft, maybe look at free agency. I don't know. Um a lot of this is gonna hinge on Bakhtiari. Of course, the in case of fire, break glass, emergency plan is Zach Tom can move to left tackle because Zach Tom is probably the one guy on this team that could play any position on the offensive line if we ask. How him valuable to. is that, dude? Yeah. So I mean this guy is he is like the offensive lineman. Um but you know, he seems comfortable on the right side and he looks you know, flawless at times on the right side. Um, and Rashid for a seventh round pick is, is coming together. So I don't, I guess I I'd like to shake it up a little, but not too much. Um, right. You know, big Caleb Jones comes to mind too. That's a guy that I've been rooting for these past couple of years to really kind of make the strides. But, you know, he's dealt with some little injury issues and stuff too throughout camp and through the season and just hasn't really seen the field. Um, but I think there's some talent there, you know, Kadeem Telford, there's, there's young players that we can continue to develop, but bottom line, if it's, if it's not Bakhtiari, uh, or, you know, it's not going to be Rashid, then we, we've got to come up with a plan here and it can't be continuing to keep, you know, guys like Royce Newman on the roster and taking up space, you know?
1: Yeah um i don't know his contract situation this may be his last year this may be a contract year i don't have that information in front of me right now that could be the case for royce but i agree he's you know bill parcells had an old quote when when someone shows you who they are believe them (laughs) you know um and it's not the dog on him it just is what it is it hasn't panned out he may go somewhere else and fit a scheme and play great who knows yeah we've seen uh, that
0: happen before
1: (laughs) zach so when you look at the left tackle position here Omer says, Bach will take a pay cut, but even so, I'm not sure the Packers will accommodate him. I agree with that, Omer. I can see that being the case, man. Goody is – he removes all emotion, which you've got to do as a good GM. I've been critical of him for that very reason because you can see it, it can upset the court, right? I mean, we're seeing on the defensive side of the ball right now with all the culture issues. Um, But, yeah, I I definitely see that playing out like that too. Badger Trio said, I could see us go O-line first pick. Totally could see that, Badger Trio. Um, them go and tackle people will probably lose their mind but again it just uh it makes sense it really does that they would potentially do that
0: it makes sense when you're when you're following when you're when you're making an effort to understand this if you're <laughs> right. if you're not you're you know i mean people were irate that we picked lvn <laughs> like right. i just don't understand it i i was excited about that pick personally um and i yeah. think he's got a bright future ahead of them so you know the same thing can apply here on the old line you never know
1: yeah um you know LBM was the one that we were kind of on several weeks before the draft like that was the name that kept popping up what i do when we get in getting closer to the draft is i do multiple mock drafts and then i keep track of this scenario unfolding this way this scenario unfolding that way and then which player got picked the most lvn was second highest with the first round pick with those multiple mocks I did. So it was like, as soon as he was available during the draft, it was like, yeah, this looks like LBN right here. And sure enough, it was. And I think he's going to be a great player. I do. I think he's going to really play well. Let's let's get into edge. That's a uh, tier one position of importance on defense. Um, Rashawn Gary, 81.2, had a couple bad weeks here, but we know Rashawn Gary is Rashawn Gary. He's the 17th highest graded edge defender. Keep in mind. You've got two starting edge defenders on every defense. So the top 64 is technically starting caliber. If you go top 32, you see he's 17th solid, another solid. And this is coming right off the knee injury. He's just one of those guys that when you look at everything, his run defense has improved 73.1, his pass rush 78.8. His, his pass rush has dipped a bit this year, which has caused his grade to go down a little bit. And people want 81.2 and it's down. That's how good Rashawn is. So this – could technically be referred to as a down year for Rashawn Gary, and that is really exciting. Preston Smith, opposite of him, still under contract next year, 70.1. Pretty solid. You spent the draft capital on Lucas Van Ness, 63.6. I've heard Jake Shavink talk about several times this year, you can't rule out another edge defender being taken. If you can land another Rashawn Gary, right, and people are going, what are we doing? We need three of them. You guys look at the rotational aspect of this defense, right? People were criticizing Matt LaFleur. And, and this was Matt LaFleur's decision. This wasn't Joe Barry's decision when you talk about what kind of rotation do you want at defensive edge. I say that because if it was an issue that Matt LaFleur disagreed with, he would be going to Barry or going to the position coaches going, no, I want a higher rotational rate than just the the normal 65%. Oh, there it is. There it is.
2: 65%. 65%. <laughs> That's what we-
1: We typically rotate 65% of the time, right? That you got a 65% rotation there. Uh, at the edge edge defender position, so at least it was going into this year. We'll we'll recalculate that at the end of the year, but again, you've got Kingsley and Ibarre, sixty seven point six grade now as the fifty second best rusher, LVN as the seventieth best at sixty three point six as it sits right now. So, when, and Breton Cox Jr. fifty eight point two. So essentially, what you've got here, Tim, is you've got your premier edge defender already shored up. You've got Preston Smith, a solid number two. You've got Kingsley and Ibarre, who's a solid number two, right? Um, and a really good backup, I mean, a starting caliber backup, essentially, when you compare him, you know, in the vacuum across the league. And then, of course, LVN is going to continue to improve He's just outside of that. He is he is great now as a backup edge defender right now, which we've seen Gary do the same thing when he came out. People were calling him a bust. Then he he's ready to go and boom, he blows up. J.J. and Anibari, though, man, he's uh, he's performed pretty well. I feel good about the edge room, Tim. I feel like there's no reason to try to reach just because it's a premier position or you got a freak with a crazy athletic score. I would like to see them not worrying about taking a potential edge in the first round, unless of course, he's in the very top tier of their draft board.
0: I agree 100%. And looking, you know, we just went top to bottom. Let's look at the bottom here. Keyshawn Banks, Kenneth Odemegwu, Aaron Mosby, Bretton Cox Jr., Um, at least two out of those four are worth really keeping an eye on here in their development being uh Banks and um Brenton Cox Jr who's actually yeah. seen seen the field a bit Kenneth Odemegwu um I believe this year uh the training wheels are off and he's got he's got to make this team um I think I think that's how that works right the first year he he gets the guaranteed spot on the practice squad so I think in year 2 I think um you know, he is eligible to be cut outright. So it'll be interesting to kind of keep an eye on Odemegwu and see how he's developed with this, this new program that the league has had. Um, It may speak a a bit to our position coach conversation as well. You know, if we see a guy like that come to camp next year and is looking, looking like he understands the game a lot more, clearly we're doing a good job um, because that guy basically didn't know much about Paul at all (laughs) when he got here. So um I, I'm with you, Clayton. I don't think we take edge um, unless it's some, you know, monster that falls in our lap, but I feel good about the edge room. And and you're right. Absolutely right. I think we've got at least another year, maybe two out of Preston Smith, depending on how it looks. Um, yeah. And then uh, JJ Inagbari. Yeah. That guy could probably, you could probably spin around and point at 20, 25 other teams in this league that that guy would probably start on. Um, but it just so happens he's here in green Bay with Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary. So, um, and I'm with you, too. The rotation needs to be there. Uh, Edge is, um, you got to have fresh legs. You've got to have guys that can come in and and give, uh, you know, your big guys like Gary and Smith, you know, a snap or two off here and there just to keep the legs fresh. So I feel good about the edge room.
1: Absolutely. All right, let's move on to defensive line and we'll wrap this big bear up. So D-line, I've got it as a tier one uh, position of importance. It used to be tier two and edge was the long tier one. I've bumped it up because I've seen the great teams this year and how they all have that great interior defensive line. You've seen the Eagles, they double down again. They go and get Jalen Carter. Jalen Carter's been an absolute monster. Last I checked, he was great not in the 90s on PFF. Now, I know he was out of Green Bay's range, but you could have been willing to trade up to the number nine spot and take him, and you would have shored up that defensive line. You've taken swings. It's not that Goody hasn't tried, but we know we've, we've talked about they're going after interior pass rushers. The big problem with that is, and if you want to know why the run defense is struggling so bad, I know people just like to, by default, blame Joe Barry. Look at the run defense grades, guys. There's not a position that Barry has put this defensive line in. In some cases, they're playing one gap. Most cases, they're playing one gap defense, right? So it's not like they're asking these defensive line to do something crazy. When you look at their run defense across the board, you want to know why the run defense is so bad this year? Kenny Clark, 59.8. Devontae Wyatt, 49.9. T.J. Slayton, 61.1. Carl Brooks, 43.3. Kobe Wooden, 48.4. Go to the overall defensive grade because it does matter. This is how they grade out. Kenny Clark, 67.6. That's 38th best in the league. Uh, Devontae Wyatt, 65.3, 45th best. Uh, T.J. Slayton, 63.2, 55th best. And then Carl Brooks, 61.2, 59th best. And you got Kobe Wooden, 54.3, 88th best. Now, this gets a little tricky. Some teams run a 4-3. And with a 4-3, these interior defensive line, there's only two interior defensive line on the field, right? We run a thirty-four. So you've got three defensive line in your base package. So to, you can't you can't take this like you do the edge defense room or or the tackle position and go okay the top sixty four are starting caliber. It's kind of a mix there. You probably put it somewhere in the eighty range because there are a lot of teams that run thirty four defenses. Although you're in the thirty four package way less than you're in nickel because the majority of offenses the majority of the time offenses are running eleven personnel three wide receiver sets, which triggers which triggers the nickel defense when you're calling in personnel. So when you look at it from that standpoint, Tim, we're sitting here another year saying, I hate to say it, Kenny Clark's overpaid. You've got so much cap tied up in Kenny Clark, and he is a great pass rusher. There's no two ways about it. Devontae White has been more effective at pass rushing than Kenny Clark has. But those run defense grades, man, this is what we're talking about when just another example of Dom Capers, fire Dom Capers, fire Mike Patton, fire Joe Barry. You've got to put a little bit of the blame on how we're drafted. We're keying in on pass rush in the interior, and it's kind of like the whole RAS thing. For for Forget what the tape shows. Let's get the athletic freak. Forget what the run defense tape shows. Let's just go get the pass rushers. That's how you end up with such a bad run defense. I just want to point that out. It'd be different if it was two of these five players. All five players are playing absolute cheeks against the run. Your your nose tackle TJ Slayton that you drafted primarily just to stop the run. That's why you got him. He's great out as a sixty one point one. And where did we draft him at? Way down on the what was he like a fifth round pick or something like that? I believe I think so. Yeah, yeah. So he was later in the draft. I know. He, I don't think he was a, uh, in the top three. I know he wasn't in the top two. I don't think he was a third round pick or else we'd be talking about him being a third-round bust. But um, just a later pick there. So defensive line room, this is that position. I know we took a swing at Devontae Wyatt, right? I got you. I know Kenny Clark is a great pass rusher. But you've got to somehow, someway get, a, get an interior defensive line that's going to play three downs and stop the run as well as get to the quarterback, man.
0: Yep, absolutely. You know, I'm with you lockstep on this. Um, and it's like they just – you got to be a little bit more multifaceted, especially on a on a defense that you know are we're putting a concentrated effort. Our pass rush is coming from the edge. You know we're you're, you know you're drafting and developing these these you know elite level guys that you want to rush the passer, and it's like you know we've got to have D line that can get it done in the trenches. And you know t- I, I will say this about Big TJ: Big TJ has shown flashes throughout this year. Um, he's had some games better than others against the run A couple of games where he was the only guy battling against the run. Right. Um, so hopefully, you know, there's a high ceiling there and he continues to improve, but yeah, that, I, I fully anticipate some kind of shakeup here on this D line. And, and maybe that's what it is. We just need to balance that out with some, you know, some run stuffing guys, but, um, I guess time will tell, but that's definitely, uh, a, a glaring hole, uh, in this defense is our, uh, run play. Um, At the at the line, really, that's where it starts. You know, we can talk about the linebackers and everything else after that. But, you know, you need your D line to get it done in the trenches and uh, against the run. It just hasn't been there.
1: Yeah. So why did we do all that, guys? We looked at quarterback, tackle, edge and defensive line. It's to kind of – as we get ready to enter the draft season when the season winds down, right? And I know we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. That's okay. But it's more about roster evaluation right now than it is draft talk. But you're identifying the needs going into the offseason. That's going to determine as a scouting staff. And that's what Packers Total – I wanted Packers Total Access to be from what is the organization looking at right now rather than, hey, this player said this in the media – Let's have a big, drawn-out, dramatic conversation on that. We've done our share of that because people want it, okay? So we'll do it from time to time. I wanted it to be where is the team's mindset right now and how can we dig into some of the info and try to figure out, okay, what's the best opportunity, the best option moving forward? So quarterback, if you have one that grades out just as high or higher than Jordan Love did on his draft grade, you take him. Because worst-case scenario, you can trade him later and you've got competition in the quarterback room at the most important position. I personally believe Jordan Love is the quarterback of the future, okay? But, again, you had Aaron Rodgers on the roster and you drafted in the second round Brian Braun. If you have a quarterback with first-round grade that drops to the second, like a Jalen Hurts, they're probably going to take a swing at him. I'm okay with that because you've got to get better at the most important position. You've got to. Whether it's lighting a fire under Love, not that he needs it, that dude is playing as inspired as anyone, right? Uh, but I just history dictates they're willing to take that to to take a swing at a quarterback again. Tackle. If Bach comes back with a, a readjusted contract where you could save, and I didn't say this, if you made him the highest paid tackle as far as cap hit or in that ballpark, you can probably free up about seven million. So the question is, do you want Bach back as you're starting left tackle and free up seven million? Or do you want Bach or do you want Bach traded or off of the roster and free up 20 million? That's essentially the pros and cons to that deal. That's your your costs, you know, you know, your your cost uh, analysis, if you, if you want to look at it from a business standpoint, right? So tackles definitely on the table. Edge, I don't see any reason to take one. We know it's a premier position. If you have someone who's just let's say on your board, it's the best edge defender in the entire draft, and he falls to let's say 12th wherever you're picking, 15th wherever you're picking, and then yeah, you gotta you gotta take them, right? You're saying, okay, that's the best player available. It's exactly what Carly Ray was talking about with Andy Herman talking about, you know, you got to draft by by value, not need, right? And it is a tier one position of importance. Um, and the reason it's important to kind of differentiate the different tiers, guys. You say you got to take the best player available. We know it's BS to a certain extent, because let's be honest, you're you're not if the best player available is a kicker, you're not taking them, right? If the best player available is a right guard, you're not taking him in the first round, right? Like, we know this, you know. Um, as that's bad as we need one. Way. Right, exactly. Uh, maybe that should be the way. I, I'm just saying. But yeah, that's what I mean by there's a little bit of BS in, in that approach and how the teams communicate that. But um, that's why you've got to kind of break these positions down into premier positions, tiers of importance, that type of thing. So, quarterback, possibility, tackle, highly likely, Seeing the situation with Bakhtiari, the knee, there's just so many factors that come into play there. Edge, I would shy away from unless the perfect prospect falls. Defensive line, defensive line, I'm going to say it again, defensive line should be top priority. That's my opinion. you got to go get that dog in the middle. you got to have him because that's what's killing this run defense. If you march the same players out there next year, I feel very comfortable saying you march those same players out there and you change coordinator, you change schemes. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if the run defense continues to struggle. Because we have done everything this year, spinning safeties into the box. Play, how many times you'll see me on Chalk Talk draw up an eight-man box just for them, one guy to get washed out of his gap and the guy scamper down the field for a 32-yard game? It's happened all year long. And it's because of the players up front not being. Elite run defenders; their the roster is built to rush the passer. So that's kind of how I see that. I would say defensive line is what I'm going to dig into the most as the team sits right now, going into draft season. So, all right. With that being said, Tim, let's wrap this big bear up, man. Parting thoughts.
0: Um, looking forward to being on tonight, uh, and I believe you got a show coming up with uh, Mr. Mike Wall today. Is that yes? Is that sure, gonna yeah. We
1: okay. got a got a special edition for you guys. It's going to be. 12 Central, okay. Here in uh what three hours, I think. Is that right, Tim? It's gonna be one o'clock yeah. my time. Yeah. So I, I keep forgetting what time's on, man. Down here in Florida now. I'm going, we are yeah, we're still east. Okay, we're good. I don't ever know where I'm gonna wake up and look at the watch and go. I this phone right here saves my life. I look at it, yeah. it's the current time. Awesome. Have <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to we'll figure it out. Um, but yeah, we're gonna have Mike Wall on at 12 Central, one Eastern. Um, just gonna really kind of die. I'm gonna sit my goal is to sit back and go, Mike. Last two games, dog dookie, right? The mock is yours. What is going on? What's wrong? What are you seeing on offense? What are you seeing on defense? He's been breaking the tape down extensively. And then how do you fix it? What's What happened? Why did it happen? What's the solution? That's what I'm going to try to get out of him. And he's liable to go, I don't feel like answering that, Clayton. And I'll go, okay, Mike, thanks for coming on the show. But we'll <laughs> give it a shot, all right? So, Anyway. We're out of here, guys. Really appreciate the chat. You guys were absolutely awesome in here. Um, I forgot to give a shout out last uh, last night on the show. I had it marked and just completely overlooked it. I think it was CL was the name of the user. Became a member of the the YouTube member of the PTA posse. If you guys are interested in being a YouTube member, um, you just go to our homepage on YouTube, click join, and you can become a member there. That'll put you that'll enter you into contests we have moving forward. Giving away autographed jerseys. We just uh, just mailed out. Um, I think it was to Jeff an autographed Dorsey Levin's jersey, and we've got an autographed Robert Brooks jersey waiting to be sent out. I'm just going to give it another another couple of days for the winners to come forward. We got the second place winner. I think it was number one Packer fan, I believe. I shouldn't even say that if I don't know for sure. If it is, I don't mean to give you fault <laughs> So I've got it wrote down at home, and I can go back and watch the show to remind myself. So. But we'll get those uh, sent out to you guys. Uh, like I said, get those in your hands. But the next one we're going to be giving away, I haven't decided yet. Um, what was it we had? We gave away a Dorsey Levin's. Um, we're giving away the Robert Brooks. It was a Mark Chamora, right? Is that what we said? Yeah, Chamora.
0: Yep. That's the Chimura one. was
1: the most recent one. Yeah. So I've got all that wrote down at home. I'll get, I'll get that stuff out to you guys. So, um, yeah, but if you become a member of the PTA Posse, a YouTube member of our YouTube group, then that'll get you entered into those. It's just a way for us to give back. I've got a ton of autograph memorabilia and, uh, really appreciate you guys supporting the stream. The support has been outstanding. I'm getting great feedback from BetUS. You guys have showed up in force signing up with bet us. And it just shows them, like I said, at the beginning of the show, I hey, think this guy does have people listening. That's kind of cool. So <laughs> um, it's uh it's cool to kind of see that partnership come to fruition. Um, anytime you've got a sponsor that says, look, I don't know how long this will last, but th- this is exactly what they said. He said, I don't know how long it'll last, but we would hope that if you get a better offer, you would come to us before you decide to take that offer. So that's a good sign. That's really cool. It just shows the channels growing and it's a testament to you guys, man. The chat drives this show. We try to hit on as much as we can, um, you know, as we go live, but I also get emails of people saying, man, you're not breaking down anything of substance. So the show used to be all that. we got to find that happy medium because you guys in the, in the live chat are the ones that are really supporting this thing. Those and the people on the pod making us a part of your day. So with that being said, guys, we're out of here. This has been good morning Lambo. We will see you at, 12 Central, 1 Eastern with former Green Bay Packer Mike Wall to explain to us how we've been wrong all week long and complaining about this team, and that's the go. So, um, y'all have a great day. We'll see you then. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. And Go Packers.